1: Welcome to Hit Me One More Time, the Nostalgia Reflection podcast, where we look at the things that we loved when we were younger and ask the question, is this good? I'm David Luzader, and with me, as always, of course, is Nick Shermooksness. Nick, how are you?
0: I am well, uh, per usual. I never think of a way to introduce myself ahead of time. I thought about using like bare necessities or something, but then I have no like musical talent. So I'm really just, you know, vamping right now Now for no reason, uh, but happy to be here as always, David.
1: Now, Nick, sometimes, and, and I didn't think about it beforehand, um, I had a panic moment where I was almost like, do I introduce him as Bagheera or Baloo? Uh, which one would you have rather I introduced you as?
0: Well, when this came up on the Sonic episode, you said I was Tails instead of Knuckles. So, okay, the, would I, would apples I be... Apples and
1: oranges comparison. The, the tails is not anywhere near the, the level of importance.
0: Just to be safe, I'll be one of is. the vultures, I think.
1: Okay, I'll just, the, you've just demoted yourself far below <laughs> <laughs> the status I was willing to grant you.
0: <laughs> okay, maybe blue.
1: Moving on, we have a guest this week, the guest that brought our topic here. They are the host, the driving force behind Crimes from the East. It is Pia. Pia, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much, Nick and David as well. I'm very happy to be here. Just to give you a little intro about myself. um, Please do. I'm born and brought up in India, and then I got married and moved here around 13 or so years ago. When I say here, I mean the U.S., Um, and yeah, life was going on pretty great. I was always a true crime enthusiast since I was 11 years old. And I watched, um, Silence of the Lambs. I I don't know why my parents let me watch that at such a young age, but I was hooked. I was like, what is this? Um, and that kind of fueled my interest for crime scene investigation and psychopaths and all that stuff. And so following a lifelong interest in the subject, I found podcasts in early 2015 and then i figured wait a minute there's a void in this field there's a void in the shape of the indian subcontinent Mm. you know the western audience needs to hear the tales of you know macabre uh, twisted crooked from india from bangladesh from pakistan nepal sri lanka so i was like We need a podcast like that. And after a couple years of whining about it, my husband was like, listen, put your money where your mouth is. Why don't you make that podcast that you want to hear? And so that's how I made, uh, that's how I came up with Crimes from the East. And I'm brand new. I'm only 12 episodes in, Uh, started in March this year. So it's been a roller coaster ride, learning everything from scratch. Uh It's been fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so far, mean, so good. That That's good. Yeah, and you guys just wrapped up your first um, season, right? Like you're, you know, you're, I, I, I don't know what mm-hmm. the plan is. Like, no, you're taking a break. But just in case anybody goes over there, for they're hearing this in the right. future, and there's like, there hasn't been an update in a little bit, like, just so they know.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm just taking a little summer break. Um, yeah, we've been indoors for so long. It's been almost <sighs> a year of being you know, inside the house and I'm like, it's summer. I'm done. I want to go out. I want to be out. So we're just taking a tiny, tiny break just to just a month or so. And then we'll be right back with all our tales of uh, murder and um, high strangeness.
1: (laughs) Uh Well, excellent. Yeah. I was listening a bit to the show today. It's a great show. We will let people know where to find it at the end. You can't just come in early, find out where you can find these other great podcasts and leave (laughs) this one. You got to listen to the rest of this suckers. You gotta do the time. Uh, exactly. And then you can go do the crimes of the, from the East. Perfect. Uh, except not some of the ones that you have described, which are <laughs> horrifying. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: But this week, we're not talking about any sort of crime. We are talking about The Jungle Book. Specifically, we're talking, we're gonna be focusing around Disney's The Jungle Book. Okay. This 1967 musical animated film follows Mowgli, a feral child raised in the Indian jungle by wolves. As his friends Bagheera the panther and Baloo the bear try to convince him to leave the jungle before the evil tiger Shere Khan arrives. Pia, you brought this here. So, what is your history with the Jungle Book, and why did you want to bring it here?
2: Okay, so I've I've always been like fascinated by Mowgli, Mowgli the character and the whole, you know, the menagerie of. Um, it, quirky characters in that movie i first saw it when i was i think four or five and i won't say when okay i don't (laughs) want to date myself but it was a long long time ago and we didn't have a vcr at home and so when we visited this family friend of ours they had the vhs tape for the jungle book and they had kids my age i didn't want to play with them i was like straight to the tv take me to your vcr (laughs) that's why i'm here and so I would watch that movie on repeat, like the minute it would finish. I was like, rewind that shit. I'm going to watch it again. <laughs> and so I was just mesmerized with it. I think the idea of a boy just living his crazy wildlife in the jungle with no homework, <laughs> you know, no parents important, and um, yeah, no chores or anything, it just sounded too fantastical for, you know, five-year-old me and... It just had me in a grip so yeah that was the first time i encountered it and i watched it many many times um after that of course i forgot about it for a couple decades in the middle and then now that i had a child of my own i wanted to introduce her to the jungle book and so i started playing the bare necessity song on and off and it just hit me like a ton of bricks like oh my god she's never going to have the same associations with this movie like I did because I lived, I I was born and brought up in India. So Mm -hmm. I kind of lived in places that look like the Jungle Book. Um, Like when I was younger, um, during the summer holidays, I would be swinging on banyan tree roots uh, all morning, climbing trees and picking fruit in the afternoon and, you know, running around with, stray dogs and cows and <laughs> <that> run around <laughs> that are um, out on the street. So I had a di- very different childhood from what my daughter's going to have in the U.S. So I was like, wow, that made me reflect on it real hard. <laughs> and I watched it a couple times after that. And I was like, you know what? Th- I need to look further into this. And so I dove into Jungle Book, into Mowgli. Um, into Rudyard Kipling and why he wrote these stories and also what were the real tales or the stories that inspired him to write it and they were so interesting and I actually did an episode on this on my podcast and so I thought this is so interesting I need to spread the word about it you know not enough people Mm -hmm. in the current generation even know or care about this so that's why I brought it to you guys.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I I saw that you had done an episode on that, so kind of a double, you know, plug there. If if you're looking for an episode coming from here, where to start with Crimes from the East, which each one is is pretty self-contained, it seems, so you can probably jump in pretty easily. But that would be a good one coming from here. You know, you you already have the the groundwork laid, and I'm sure we'll we'll maybe hint or talk a little bit about some of that backstory and all that, Uh, but we're not going to get into it fully. I'm just I'm just teasing for for your podcast here. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but Nick, do you have a history with the jungle book?
0: I watched it when I was a kid. Uh I remember liking it and then that's about it. Um I don't even know if it's one that I ever revisited per se. Um I mean like Bare Necessity, I think, is a song that I probably, you know, jingle to myself like <laughs> maybe once a year. You know, just like the like the little things that you carry with you, but like overall Jungle Book wasn't one of the Disney films that like really, really stuck with me. Um, or that I've ever had like a, a super urge to revisit. So it was actually kind of cool. Like I didn't even remember that the film came out in nineteen sixty seven. Mm-hmm. Um so it was really interesting going back and, and actually watching it again. So I guess we will see what I think in a bit. What about you, David?
1: Yeah, pretty similar. This was in the tapestry of Disney films that I watched as a child, um, but not one of the ones that I gravitated more strongly towards um, and probably like through the years, you know, saw at various events because um, like a really popular thing to to do in church youth groups is like, Hey, you know what movies aren't offensive to anybody? Uh, Disney films. So we'll just go ahead and put one of those on. And I'm sure probably, Something like, like The Jungle Book came up then as well. But it had been a long time since I'd really sat down and watched it. Um, and, I, and I do have some thoughts. We'll get into all that. But before we do, Nick, can you tell us the world's history with yeah. The Jungle Book?
0: I sure can. So The Jungle Book was adapted from the novel of the same name by Rudyard Kipling. Can we also just say for a second that the name Rudyard is kind of awesome? It's a pretty good um, name. Pretty good name, uh, which was released in 1894. The film was originally spearheaded by Bill Pete, who was hot off the, and also unfortunately disappointing, I guess commercially, uh, the Sword and the Stone film. Walt Disney decided to take on a more active role in the production, and there were many disagreements over the direction of the story, leading to Pete's departure, uh, who is actually can still considered, I think, uncredited in the writing of the film. Yes. Disney then assigned Larry Clemens as the new writer insisted that they make the story as straightforward as possible. Uh, Disney assisted with the story meetings, exploring the characters, humor, and sequences, and so on. The Jungle Book would be the last Disney film to have Walt's personal touches as he would die in 1966. Although the movie was based on Kipling's novel, it strays from the source material in many different ways, including being overall lighter in tone. The film was directed by Wolfgang Rhythm. Uh, there's a million other things we could say about the about the production, which we also might get into, um, but the film was released in 1967 on a budget of $4 million and was a massive success with a domestic gross of $11.5 million by 1968, which actually sounds really small by today's standards. That's a but huge was- for the 60s, though. But huge for the 60s. Uh, In the years since, the film has been re-released several times and has shown up in various multimedia properties, including, I just felt like name dropping this, the Kingdom Hearts video game franchise. Not the first time we've talked about it here. Uh, And more recently, Disney made a live action adaptation of the animated film in 2016. Uh, unrelated related slash unrelated i also know that i think around the same time first of all, i can't believe 2016 was that long ago yep already
1: because um, mm-hmm. we're in
0: 2021 now in case anyone was keeping track Hi, uh, but there's people. also that live action film Mowgli. um i don't remember who yes. made that one i didn't bother to look yes. it up but one of those rare not rare occasions but like i don't know occasional occasions where like two films that basically are the same thing come out in the same year, like Deep Impact and Armageddon, which are always my go-to.
1: Yes. Yeah. There was a, I remember when both of these were coming out um, and one ended up coming out later than the other, but there was like, it it was really interesting that there were these two live action films going to be based off of the Jungle Book. Um, One of them is directed by Andy Serkis. I remember when casting was coming out for both of them because a lot of big names are in both of them. Um, like, here is the, the one Mowgli, because I, I don't think they were able to use the phrase Jungle Book uh, for legal mm-hmm. reasons. Um, but that one, which was released on Netflix, it has people like Christian Bale, Kate Blanchett, Benedict Cumberbatch, Andy Serkis, who directed it. Um, and then I remember, like, the, the Disney one has uh, Ben Kingsley and um, Christopher Walken and Bill Murray and, and other people who I'm, I'm forgetting. Um, but just like both of them, kind of these powerhouses of of acting, and only one of them, uh, do we still talk about today? I and mean, that is the Disney one, because apparently the one called Mowgli was a big old mess. Pia, have you seen? Have you seen either of those? The the more recent ones. I have
2: ones? seen. I have seen the live action version uh, from 2016. I saw it in the theater actually. Um, I I thought it was fine. I thought it was. A lot more um, loyal to Rudyard Kipling's original stories mm. and not as lighthearted and goofy as the, orig- as the 1967 Disney version. So um, it, it was interesting. I mean, I missed the original Baloo. You know, he was mm-hmm. kind of um, ragtag, you know, kind of like a drunken sailor almost. I, I, I loved Baloo from 1967, but Bill Murray, of course, he did a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, the newer version um, called Mowgli. By Andy Circus, who, by the way, for the listeners out there, is Golem, isn't he?
1: Yeah, he's yeah. he's Gollum. Yeah. And
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: 10 million other um, things.
2: Yeah. So another thing he has in common with Mowgli, two weirdly scrawny creatures in loincloth. <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: so. The inspiration is clear.
2: Yeah. I, I can see why he identified with that character and went for this. Um <laughs> So this version, I I just watched half the movie. I haven't seen the whole thing, but it seems a lot darker. And again, even more loyal to the original stories than the 1967 version. So I think what they're trying to do is do justice to um, the Mowgli stories and not so much the Disney's um, family friendly version of it. Mm. Uh, If you ask me which one I prefer, it's the original, the 67 version. Um, I remember scenes from it a lot better than I do any of the live action ones, I think. so.
1: Yeah, especially with yeah, it being part of our uh, collective childhoods and, you know, used clips and stuff of it used in, in other stuff is like, you know, the um, Bare Necessities, especially like that, that is probably, I would argue, more famous than the 67 film um, used in a lot of places. Like kids are likely to hear it probably today, like from sing-along kind of stuff. And like the, the, um, I can't remember the song that, that King Louie does. Um, oh,
2: I want to be like you. Yes. Yes. That
1: one. Yeah. That one. I want to
2: walk like Like you. you, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, that one, you know, the, the scene of them all dancing around, like, I remember seeing that in like a bunch of stuff, like that stuff's really, really kind of, uh, stuck
2: around. The music is what makes it as is with most Disney animated movies, right? Like if the music is good, it's it's golden. It's golden mm-hmm. because that's what keeps the story, the movie, the characters alive in your mind. Um and especially as children cuz all kids love music. And we watch this as children and so yeah. all those tunes are still playing in our heads today. And I think that's that's the main the most crucial part of its success and its longevity so far it it was the original music the score um and not just the songs with lyrics but also the background score just amazing i think the um the first piece of music that starts off when the titles hit the screen i think it's called overture jungle overture or mm-hmm. something ah i love that tune love it i want that to be the soundtrack to my life as i'm walking around you know making my coffee and just doing regular (laughs) stuff (laughs) i want that to be my my life's background score so i mean you you could
1: you might drive the people around you a little Mm -hmm. crazy but you know you could still do
2: it Yeah, I can live out my Mowgli fantasy that way.
1: Yeah, we, yeah. we mentioned King Louis just a moment ago, and I, I see here, Pia, that you have put in our notes, and this is something I didn't know—that King Louis mm-hmm. was was not in the books, and apparently, his song is uh, considered racist by some. I... Which I could see how that could be true. Uh
2: huh. Yeah, King Louis was absolutely not part of the original book. So, in the original books, the monkey—the monkey, the monkey group—was definitely a big. Um, chapter in there and they were called a Bandar Lok which means monkey people or group of monkeys um, but they didn't have any leader and certainly nobody like King Louis I mean come on he's an orangutan okay <laughs> there are no orangutans in India they don't know. Uh-uh. <laughs> Disney did not do their research but the character they created was specifically tailored around the musician Louis Steep I believe his name is Um, who was a very popular jazz uh, musician at that time. And again, his voice acting, his music kind of makes it and sells it, sells his character to us. The lyrics, a little questionable. (laughs) If you look deep into it, especially because it was being voiced by a black actor. Um, Some would definitely find this racist, you know, in 2020 and 2021. Cause it says it has words like uh, "Ooh, I want to be like you. I want to walk like you. I want to talk like you. I want to stride right into town and kind of mix in with the folk as if I'm a normal person."
1: I want to be a man, man cop and stroll right into town and be just like the
2: other men. I'm tired. I'm walking around. Oh, t- you can see what it what he's trying to say. Mm-hmm as if he's not already part of the normal as if he's an other um mm-hmm. and he wants to emulate uh being a man so yeah i i <laughs> when i watched rewatched it recently i was like wait a minute this could be this could go you know this could go <laughs> either ways and then i looked it up and yes there is uh some controversy around it being perceived as racist
1: Mm. yeah it uh, turns out disney did not have a a great track record and something like that really stands out as well when like every other character uh, is voiced by a white person so something Mm -hmm. like that where it's like hey here's a person of color in the film but they're singing a song about how i want to be like you know i want to as you said like all the things that you read like it that does strike a different chord when we're looking at it through on top of, a different lens.
2: On top of which, the character that he's voicing is a monkey or an ape. Yeah. Which which was a very popular uh, racist connotation with people of color at that time. And so, uh-uh, Disney was, they, again, did not do <laughs> their homework or due diligence when they were, or maybe they did. Maybe that's what they intended. They're like, hey, you know what? Sign of the times. <laughs> Sign, seal, delivered. Well, I put was, it in print. Yeah, We're good.
1: Walt Disney, um, guys, Walt Disney was not a great human being in some respects. He created <laughs> some things that really influenced yeah. our childhoods, but let's just really say, the man mm-hmm. was not a paragon of virtue. That's how I will nicely phrase Absolutely. it to say Wasn't he a he was, Nazi? He was an anti-Semite
0: at the very least. I think he was maybe okay. a Nazi sympathizer, mm-hmm. but don't quote me. Yeah, yeah. You heard it here everybody. I mean, Nick I, I, says, I, I, <laughs> uh I mean, I don't think there's it's not saying that anti-semite automatically equals Nazi, but let's just say that there's a pretty short stone throw between anti-semite <laughs> and a Nazi, right? Like They do <laughs> have one big thing in common. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they both uh, don't like Jews. <sighs> so. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. Anyway, not good people. Walt Disney. The
2: mouse isn't that innocent.
0: (laughs) That's true. Evil, sick mouse. Um, Yeah, that's, and that's an interesting legacy too. I don't know how, I guess it kind of, as we're discussing about, you know, like say like the racist undertones of things like in the jungle book. Um, Also like Disney, the company, Disney, the films is something that is, it's a, nowadays it's a multimedia and even at the probably 19, the 1960s it was already a juggernaut in some respects even from disney's humble beginnings supposedly um, but now it's just like a multimedia giant that owns a little bit of everything and it's sort of like is there a, a should is there or should there be a consequence to sort of disney like this is all like the disney name is still alive and well even if the person walt disney is long gone but you know this is all built because of him and he's kind of a shitty person like is there anything is it just sort of like well he's like the you know he's dead let's move on like disney isn't disney anymore if you know what i mean or like should it still be held accountable Mm -hmm. in some way
1: you know that's a big question and one that i don't know if we're going to unravel here in this podcast Um, i get like i get what you're saying and i I don't know. I, I would want to yeah. like take more time to think on that and like put no, together. No, yeah, I want
0: you to give me your honest opinion right now off the cuff. Just kidding. You don't have to. I, I understand. It's just, Cancel it is. Cause this is Disney. I mean, I think Disney has come up on, on our show a lot and we'll probably get to come up because it's such a huge part of our childhood. Right. Um, but obviously things like the jungle yeah. book has mm. some questionable materials in there. It always makes me like as a kid, what do I give a crap? Like, I think the song with King Louis was like, even, even when I was rewatching it, like (laughs) despite maybe some of the problems, like I was still kind of tapping my feet and humming it. And it's it's a catchy song. It's a catchy song, which makes it unfortunate that it might have some problematic aspects to it. Yeah. Um, But anyway, there's, there's, (laughs) there, there is a real,
1: like the, the colonial feel is kind of all over this film. Like one thing that really stood out to me watching it now was the elephants, and the elephants are like marching, like they're the army, and they're very like stuffy and very British. And as a kid, it's just like, oh, ha, ha, funny, like talking elephants pretending they're like military men. But now, knowing the years of colonization in India and what Britain mm-hmm. did there, it's like, oh boy, that is a really interesting way to depict those characters.
0: Mm-hmm. Also, one I'm almost one last realistic,
1: note on. don't you think? Almost realistic, science. you said.
2: Yeah, because for uh, for hundreds of years, uh, when the British were colonizing India, that's that's um, the oppressor, the invader, you know, whoever mm. can, uh, kind of um, put themselves in charge of nation and its people, and so that was what um, uh, might have been the impression of. Mm. The Hathis or the, what do you call it? Um, were they like a security team in the jungle or something? They were, right? Like um, they were patrolling the jungle. So they were the security detail of the jungle. The watch watchmen, the right, the peacekeepers or whatever. And so that's what did in their minds. The Britishers were in power in the 1800s, late 1800s, which is when the jungle book stories were written. So... Hmm. I mean, it's kind of realistic at that point. It's mm-hmm. yeah, it's sad, but it's true.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, definitely, and there is probably something then to be said about Shere Khan having that British accent. Um, that there, there may be mm-hmm. something is maybe being said, maybe not totally intentionally, but you know, Bagheera and Baloo don't right. have those sort of accents, and the and the wolves don't really have any of those accents. But then you have Shere Khan, who is very clearly the villain. Uh, who does come along and mm-hmm. um, you know voiced by by George Sanders and it really is a it's one of those voices where you can kind of hear it and instantly like you recognize oh that's that's Shere Khan yeah,
2: yeah. and that actually happened to me funny you say that because um, I was watching this movie a couple months ago. well rewatching, it's one of my favorite movies uh, shot in the dark uh, with Peter Sellers
0: okay.
2: and one of the main characters in that movie um, he's a billionaire uh, played by George Sanders and I didn't know George Sanders really um, he's really old-timey actor so I didn't know George Sanders and I didn't know that George Sanders Sanders voiced Shere Khan but I was as I was watching the movie and his voice kept like taking me back to this familiar space and i was like what is happening why am i like this is creeping me out and then it hit me i'm like "Sher khan that's Sher khan i looked it up on wiki and sure enough it was george sanders so i was like whoa (laughs) (laughs) his voice was embedded in my brain for 30 odd years
1: that's how much of an impact he had on you it was
2: amazing voice acting
1: Probably, yeah, and the guy was in 10 million things. Like, I just pulled up his filmography right now and a bunch of stuff. Like, maybe I've maybe seen a couple of these old films here or there, but it's mostly like stuff from like the through the 40s through the 60s. So, probably not stuff mm-hmm. that people listening to this show right now might be super familiar with. But yeah, <laughs> at the time, it was probably for people like, oh, they got George Sanders to be in this. That's a big deal.
2: And he does sound. He does sound like you know the uppity Brit, British—not just British, British, but <laughs> the uppity, you know, nose in the air, pinky pointing out type of um, British accent, which is just dripping with um, unquestionable superiority. <laughs> so they they cast him well. They cast him well as Shere Khan.
1: Yeah, it really it really does
0: work. It's because I. Maybe, maybe I am thinking, because I'm pretty sure I had watched Mowgli, the live action one, but in my 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 memory, I thought that the Shere Khan confrontation at the end was a lot more, even more dramatic than it was, like more drawn out, more visceral or what have you. And I mean, like it's said in sort of this, wasteland section of the forest and the lightning and, you know, Shere Khan's threatening and all that, but he kind of gets taken out in sort of a hijinky way. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then off he goes, like, and it was all, honestly, relatively quick. I mean, of course, you had, like, the little the, the brief sort of, like, is Baloo dead moment? <laughs> um, but for some reason in my head, I just remember it being more, just like a longer, darker scenario, but that's nostalgia for you. <laughs>
1: Well, and Disney, yeah,
0: yeah, Disney's also,
1: you know, they're, they're not always kind to their villains in the end. Uh, Scar getting eaten by the hyenas, um, the the uh, priest from Hunchback of Notre Dame, like falling into a pit of fire. like You know, they're known for some, some pretty brutal deaths. So in this, he just gets some fire tied to his tail and then it starts raining and you, you get the feeling he's going to be just fine out there to terrorize another day.
2: Yeah, and he doesn't actually die um, in that story. Uh, So at least they were true to the original Mowgli stories in that sense because he does come back, um, even in part two, there's a jungle book part two, and he comes back for revenge in that movie. So he wasn't meant to die in (laughs) the jungle book.
1: I I want to think since we mentioned the second one, I wanted to bring up because Ka, the snake, in this one is voiced by the original voice of Winnie the Pooh. And you can hear it. I mean you can hear it super clear. Oh my
0: gosh, now I can.
1: <laughs> Say no. What have we here? <laughs> it's a man cub.
0: What yeah, d- did you not ever know that? I never I have knew. No idea. That.
1: Yeah. Well, when they did the Maybe. sequel, they had Jim Cummings do the voice of Ka, and Jim Cummings is has been the voice of Winnie the Pooh for uh, like four, three, four decades now. I mean, the guy's been doing it forever. Do my
2: snake
1: eyes deceive me? Ooh, it's the succulent man cub. So I, I thought that was a, that was pretty neat. That if they're going to replace <laughs> the voice actor, um, which obviously they had to because it was like thirty years later. Um, but if you're gonna yeah. do that, then like. It's nice they got the person who's also also replaced him as Winnie the Pooh and probably could like keep the voice pretty similar. I think that's funny that neither <laughs> of you knew that was Winnie the Pooh though. I mean it's it's
0: uh, so clear. It's like it's ringing in my ear now.
2: Okay. Confession, I've never watched Winnie the Pooh. It wasn't it wasn't on Indian television so I have no <laughs> yeah. idea what he sounds like.
0: <laughs> oh. Well,
1: he well, sounds, sounds like the Tom. snake and um with a little let with Ooh, a little like... little bit less of a lisp. That's pretty much the only difference. Uh-huh.
2: Trust in me. Yes,
1: I. That's I I really liked actually the sequence where um, Wunca had Mowgli, and then uh, Shere Khan came by and was like trying to harass him. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I know you got something. Like, I just like that interplay of the kind of the two antagonists of the film. Because in my head, I, for some reason, because it's been so long Mm -hmm. since I've watched this, I was like, oh, the snake and the tiger were working together. Like, the snake was, was mm-hmm. Shere Khan's, like, partner. But then watching this now, that's just, like, not the... They're, they're right. both, I guess, villains. They're both antagonists of the film, but they're not ever, like, together.
2: Yeah, in the original stories, Ka was not a villain. Ka was an all-knowing, um, you know, like a wise old mm. uh, snake that kind of, yeah, it helped the the animals of the jungle. It was not this duplicitous... Um sly, slimy character, as you see in the movie, and yeah, that's a very complex character for a children's movie, if you look at it now um right. it's not a, he's not a straight up villain; he still ends up kind of helping Mowgli a little bit mm-hmm. um by misdirecting Shere Khan, so yeah, it's a very complex char- character to put into what was supposedly a very family friendly children's movie, so yeah, I remember being scared by Cup ka as a child i was very scared by ka well
1: snakes are just like scary as a kid in sort of a way yeah. that like tigers are scary and well i mean for us here in america i will say ti- the, the the possibility <laughs> of running into a tiger is is phenomenally low zero <laughs> it's, yeah unless you go to a zoo Back and then. and have a, a real accident
2: well uh, if you watch tiger king that's true <laughs> you'll know that there are now ten thousand tigers in the u.s okay yeah. and, wandering <laughs> like, the maybe streets 2000 in india maybe 2000 in the wild
1: in india so oh well, that's oh, yeah
2: now yeah. your chances of encountering a tiger are much much higher in the u.s than in india
1: but my chances of running into a boa constrictor are probably about the same
2: Especially in Florida, maybe. That's the perfect place to shoot the Jungle Book, I think. You know, out in the swamps and the bayou or whatever. Just shoot the Jungle Book there. This time with an American child. Jungle Book 3. I'd love to watch that.
1: Uh, that'd be pretty perfect.
2: I have a little um, tidbit to share with you. So oh, please do. The vultures. So the vultures, right? They were... If you look at the 1967 movie, the way that they're drawn out... You're, you're expecting it to be the Beatles, right? Mm-hmm. The shaggy hair, the blonde, oh. the b- one who kind of looks like Ringo. And you're like, these look very much like the Beatles. And they are voiced by British actors, but they don't sound like the Beatles. And you'd wonder what is going on. So when it was drawn out, they were meant to be voiced by the Beatles, mm-hmm. but they just straight up refused. They refused. <laughs> they were like, we're not doing this. <laughs> And so they had to kind of, um, they had to kind of um, bring in other voice actors to do the job. And so there's kind of a dissonance with what you're seeing, expecting, and what you're hearing. So yeah, that's yeah. a little tidbit.
1: Especially because one of them is still definitely doing a like George Harrison voice, and that's <laughs> that's something like when I, when I was watching it, I was like. Oh, these are supposed to be the Beatles, um, like obviously. And like, I I went and looked it up and like read that whole thing about how, um, like, yeah. it, I think I think like they had approached their agent and their agent was like, "Oh yeah, that sounds great." And then he took it to the Beatles, who were, as you said, like, <laughs> "No, we're not going to do that." And they no. they like they even had a song they were going to sing, but they ended up changing it to that like barbershop kind of quartet song that they they end up doing to make it a little bit more. They, I, I appreciate that yeah. they'd not then turn around and try to just be like. But it's the fake Beatles. It's like going to Chuck E. Mm-hmm. Cheese, and you know the animatronics will now sing the for you. Beatles.
0: Oh my gosh, the animatronics!
1: I know they haunt your <laughs> dreams, Nick.
0: I, I, it's not been that long since I was at a, a Chuck E. Cheese, and it, it's still disturbing. You
1: just hang out at Chuck E. Cheese's these days?
0: No, no. Okay, I, I volunteer for Big Brother, Big Sister, just in case the world needed to know. So I was there with my little. I'm not a weirdo.
2: <laughs> I, I love going to Chuck E. Cheese just to play the video games. I'm a huge video game fan. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm with, with, with some kid, whatever. Just <laughs> sure, let me just, play. It's,
1: uh, it's over there. <laughs> My
0: kid, but whatever, I, uh, their name is something.
2: Something, one of these is mine. Leave me alone.
0: <laughs> so there was in the
1: 90s, uh, this is related to this because there was something called Club Disney. And, um, hmm. defunct land, which is a great YouTube series. The defunct land has a great series on, on this. They were supposed to be kind of a, not so much Chuck E cheese, but it was like, like you go in and there's all these activities and there's like play centers and all this stuff that your kid can do. And they had to have like a policy of like, you have to bring a kid with you, um, because they knew like, I mean, people with Disney and also just weirdos in general, they're like, we're not just going to let anybody right. kind of walk in off the street, <laughs> and just to hang out here at Club Disney, like you have to bring, you have to have a kid that is in your care.
2: Your kid is your entry pass. Yeah,
1: exactly.
2: <laughs> nice.
1: I see here, I see one thing that we had in the note we've, we've mentioned, I probably should have mentioned this at the beginning, but you you put here, p about Mowgli, the meaning and the pronunciation. Uh, mind shedding a little bit of light on that?
2: Yeah. So even in my own episode, I mentioned this right at the end or somewhere near the end. So you kind of, you know, reflect on it. So the name Mowgli, we've been saying it wrong this whole time. According to the author Rudyard Kipling, it's pronounced Mowgli, like Mow like the cow, Mowgli. And I reject this. (laughs) I wholly reject this. It's wrong. (laughs) Mowgli is how, you know, it's always been it's always been Mowgli and so Disney changed it to Mowgli I guess for the American pronunciation right because Mowgli sounds like what a British person would call Mowgli right yeah, <laughs> and so can see that. Mowgli is how you would pronounce M-O-W-G-L-I and so yep yeah. and the meaning of the word Mowgli according to Rudyard Kipling well, no. So the meaning of the word Mowgli is rubbish. There, It means yeah. nothing in real life. Yeah. It's not like um, an Indian language, uh, you know, word in the Indian language. It means nothing. He made up the word. But in the book, in forest speak, Mowgli means little frog. And I mm-hmm. found that kind of cute. The that wolves cute. named him Mowgli because um, compared to their own, you know, cubs, you look like a little frog, like a naked frog with no fur. <laughs> I a can a slimy see little human cub. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I love that they called him, like, human cub, and they said, like, human village, but I don't understand why if Bagheera is going to be like, we found the man cub, uh, that he wasn't then like, I took him to be raised with the wolf cubs. It's like, hey, Bagheera, uh, spoiler alert, you are not a wolf. Um, you're just kind of hanging out, making sure this kid's cool. I'd like, I like Bagheera is a character that for some reason like faded from my memory. I did not remember Bagheera, like it, like how major of a role Bagheera played. And really, like probably for a while, I think I thought that Bagheera was another antagonist of the story because he's hmm. another big jungle cat. And I figure, well, everything in the jungle wants to eat Mowgli, um, because look at him; he's he's uh, small and delicious. And um, But, like, <laughs> is his, like, friend and protector and has kind of been, like, watching over him yeah. the whole life and even, like, goes to the meeting of the wolves who decide to, like, kick him out. But he's just, like... I know he's the narrator, so that's kind of his purpose yeah. in the story is to be where the story is happening. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it was just interesting to see this. Like, my impression of this character for, for years has been so very wrong. And, like, he has all these... Con- like, the, the conversation of, like... I actually put in my notes... Uh, the conversation between Mowgli's two dads uh, when when Bagheera is <laughs> trying to convince Baloo, like, no, he can't stay here. Like, he's he's got to go. go. Like, he's going to... Yeah. Shere Khan will straight up kill him if something else yeah. doesn't first.
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that is intentionally done. Uh, Bagheera is a panther, right? And that too, a black panther. So his whole ideology... Um, is to kind of slink into the darkness and stay in the shadows, stay out of sight, not be seen. And that's kind of how his character is as well. He's always there. He's always looking out for Mowgli, but he's not necessarily seen at all times, right? He's always up in the trees and the branches and running around watching over the little man cub. But he isn't like an overbearing, thundering, you know, like Baloo is, for instance. Right, he's not a right? Baloo. Baloo is the boisterous bear. Yeah. He's the so fun dad. Bagheera kind of like, yeah, he's the fun dad. And Bagheera is kind of like <laughs> the wise old uncle who kind of stays in the shadows and gives you, you know, solid uh, uh, life advice and then you never take it. And you're like, nah, you don't you don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. Yeah, that's I, kind of
1: what Bagheera,
0: poor Bagheera is like.
1: I also like that everybody in this film is like, okay, well, we have to make Mowgli leave and go to the village. So what we're going to do is we're going to go walk with him. And then like two hours into the walk, we'll explain to him what's happening. That happens several (laughs) times where like people are like, all right, Mowgli, let's go. And it's like, by the way, I'm taking you to the human village. Uh, I didn't, I I purposefully did not tell you that fact.
0: After the first time, you know, Mowgli, um, you know, he put up a fight, a stink about, you know, having to go back. So, I and I mean, there was a the whole scene with, with Balu and Bagheer, if I recall, where they're arguing over whether or not they should bring him back.
1: Yeah, the conversation so.
0: between Mowgli's two dads. Yeah.
1: Is this how
2: parents drop their kids off to boarding school? Like <laughs> they don't tell them, and they kind of drive them up to the school, and they're like, "Bye."
0: We're, we're <laughs> driving to Man <laughs> Village now. Yeah, we're driving out
2: to the country.
1: Felt like uh, that's fair. <laughs> that seemed to be like what was happening. <laughs> I right
2: yeah
1: I'm going to admit something here that I'm going to put to our our listeners uh th- I'm going to put out a, a question of please please somebody explain how this works to me um uh, because I a few years ago saw this compilation of like oh Disney reusing animation and uh I think it's this and Robin Hood um there's a couple of scenes like when when Baloo and King Louis are dancing is also like that same animation is used in, um, in Robin hood. I just forgot the name of the movie. I said like two seconds ago. Um, and I don't understand how in the sixties that would, cause I, I thought everything was drawn by hand and like had to be done, um, you know, painstakingly drawn by hand. So I don't, I don't understand, and I actually feel like weird admitting this on the internet. I don't get how they reused animation in the 1960s. So I'm dead. if anybody wants to educate me, please do. Uh,
0: I, educated, I just no. wish
2: they did it more. Because have you seen Jungle Book 2? It looks horrible. It looks horrible. <laughs> the characters are, the colors are different. They move different. They don't seem to move as organically and as... Um, you know, nonchalantly as, as they did in part one. So I, I wish they copied even more frames, however <laughs> they did it. I
1: know? think Jungle Book 2, oh, it's 2003, wow. I, that one had to be a straight to, um, or was it a theatrical release? I guess it was a theatrical release. Wow. I thought that was like, that was during the era of straight to video films when they were doing like all those cinderella sequels and stuff so that's what i, th- I would have thought but yeah no that got a full theatrical release and shame on them
0: Shame. shame. <laughs> wasn't the in the animation in the 60s wasn't it like um they they had they basically would create like these long frames of like the background art or something like that and then they would have um i guess the panes of glass yeah or yeah like the cell the characters yeah oh it's called cells
1: yeah no i know i know like i know how that part works but i don't understand how you would because like if 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 the characters i mean obviously they're the same size but if they look completely different how do they this is like just me like i'm, I'm so ashamed like this would be me as ashamed to admit anything of like I feel like I should know how this works but for some reason I don't. <laughs> I'm feeling like a lost child, which is like an insane thing. I don't work in animation. I don't have anything to do with animation. Why am I feeling bad admitting I don't know how this works? <laughs> I just I had a moment. Yeah, it is. It's magic, the voodoo. It might as well be, honestly, to me. It is it,
0: it is well I so I've been I've been working, I've been developing my art my uh, illustration skills for like the last year now. And uh, you know, I, I'm nowhere near, <laughs> nowhere near getting hired by Disney for, for the record. But, you know, it is one of those things, like I, I follow a lot of artists and, and some of them do animation or, or digital uh, illustration so on and so forth. And to me, it's still like, it is like voodoo. I'm like, how the heck am I getting from like this like really bad looking hand I'm drawing to creating a Pixar movie? You know what I mean? Like, those people had to, in theory, start where I did. But it really does feel like they all made deals with the devil. (laughs) And then, you know, poof, they got a job. Like, I think that's the only logical explanation. Obviously.
2: Disney bought Pixar, so it's all one big happy family now.
1: That's true. That's true. true. As we are getting to the end of our show here, is there anything that we haven't talked about, haven't mentioned yet um, that anybody wants to bring up?
0: Yeah. Uh, I, for the longest time, thought that Walt Disney was frozen. And it turns out <laughs> he was not fro- not related to the Jungle Book, other than the fact <laughs> that it's Disney. But um, yeah, apparently uh, he was cremated and his ashes are in at Forest Lawn in Glendale, California, in case you were wondering. That's what they want you to, go- to think, Nick. I mean, probably, but, um, yeah, no, apparently he never did get frozen, which is fine, I guess. Um, but still, you know, that's, that's a, a broken vision today.
1: We're all admitting things today on the show. (laughs) Was there anything Pia that, that we haven't talked about yet that you wanted to mention?
2: Um, I was just wondering if I should share one story um, of a real feral oh, child.
1: Please, please that do. That
2: inspired Rudyard Kipling to write The Jungle Book.
1: Yeah, I, so,
2: um, The Jungle Book came out in 1894, and people speculate that the story of the discovery of a feral child in 1867 is what inspired Rudyard Kipling to write. Uh, Mowgli into the jungle book. And that child was Dina Sanichar. He was found in 1867 by hunters in Uttar Pradesh, India. He was a six-year-old boy found playing with wolf cubs in the forest. And so the villagers lit a fire near the wolf den. And in the ensuing chaos, they captured a little feral boy. He was like a ferocious little, you know, wild thing. Hmm. Um, he was taken to an orphanage where he was given the name Dina Sanicher, which means day Saturday, the day that he was found. <laughs> kind of like Man Friday. Um, <laughs> and he, yeah, he displayed all the hallmark signs of being feral. Um, things like only eating Rami. He didn't want a shred of clothing on his body. He walked on all fours. He shunned human contact and kind of just... Um, Like a wild animal, really. Um, Although he did have sparks of coherence now and there. So his caretakers had some hope that they'll be able to rehabilitate him. And unlike other feral children who were also found at that time, who usually died within a couple of years of being found, probably because of all the raw meat they had been eating, you know, about Mm -hmm. worm infestations. Yeah, this guy actually survived for another 28 years um somehow and he died of the one thing the one modern human um trait that he picked up he died from tb or tuberculosis from oh, chain smoking. oh no so uh,
1: yeah, we got him we man. got him disease kid, well. so always, yeah always good. that's super interesting <laughs> um, no thank you for sharing like i it sounds like there's yeah. this whole history of feral children that i cuz you you, know, you 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 hear about it as like a legendary thing um the whole like oh are you, right. were you raised by wolves but you don't ever actually like i think mm-hmm. there's a dissonance of like you don't actually think that happens you know you don't think that kids were actually raised yeah. by wolves but it, it happened there's one out there or was one out I there i think
2: it's re- it's repeated so often in all kinds of um mythologies and origin stories like that of the city of Rome, Romulus and and Remus, Remus, Mm -hmm. also raised by Yeah, so there has to be some shred of truth in all of these fantasies, right? It has to come from somewhere. And I kind of ponder over those and other feral children's stories in my episode of Mowgli. So if you guys are interested, (laughs) listen (laughs) up.
1: (laughs) Check it out again. We're going to get to where can people find that in just a minute here. But first, we have to go around and we have to ask the question, is this good? Does this still hold up? Is it worth visiting today or is this something that is better left to the Hall of Memory? And Pia, since you brought it here, since you're a guest, what are your kind of final thoughts, closing thoughts here on the Jungle Book? On Disney's The Jungle Book. I'll say that because there's there's many different adaptations and versions. We're kind of specifically talking about the Disney one.
2: Right. I think the core of the Jungle Book, the 1967 one as well, um, is a lot is about family. It's about it's about having to grow up and do things that you don't necessarily want to do. It's about leaving the nest and making it out on our own. So it still holds up, in my opinion, and especially for the music. It still holds up. And I think it's worth looking into. So, yeah, according to me, it still holds up.
1: excellent nick what do you think
0: um yeah i mean it's it's in many ways it's a straightforward film um you know obviously there's some of the problematic elements are are dated um but animation wise you know it's still incredibly polished um i mean i can't say like for the time like i mean i think in the last hundred years we've been churning out some pretty decent animation and when you have a good budget Uh, So, I mean, The Jungle Book, it definitely uh, services that. Um, It's simple. The songs are fun. The characters are, you know, overall engaging. Um, Now that I've watched it again after so many years, am I personally like, is this going to somehow end up on like a rotation of films that I'll absolutely check out, you know, somewhere between now and the rest of my life? Uh, I don't know. Um, but that doesn't mean that I, I'm not going to recommend that other people don't check it out if they've either been on the been interested in revisiting it for a long time or maybe haven't seen it and just want a little piece of, you know, Disney history uh, checked off their list. And I say, you know, give give the Jungle Book a shot. I liked watching the movie. It had been years
1: since I'd seen it. But when I walked away from it, I I don't think I had the, I think I kind of had the same reaction as you did, Nick, where it was like, oh, OK, yeah, that was good. That didn't change my life in any sort of significant way. I wasn't like, oh man, this is the movie that I've I've been missing. Why haven't I been watching this? It's a, a film that um, I would have no problem showing to my kids. And that's probably going to be like the next time that I watch it. So I'll say it's like, as far as people who are adults listening, if you want to check it out, like, there's, there's nothing for me to say like, oh, stay away from it. No, it's really bad. I mean, the music's still great. The animation holds up. Um, it's obviously aimed at children and it's very successful in that, in all the ways that we've talked about. Cause parts of it too, it's like the plot is really loose. They're just trying to get Mowgli away from Shere Khan. And he has all these kind of adventures with these animals along the way. And it's, it's very fun and entertaining, but it wasn't maybe like gripping and deep. And I'm, I'm not saying it like the fact that it's so simple as a bad thing. I'm saying it more in the fact of like, this is very clearly a kid's movie. It is very successful as a kid's movie. And me now as an adult, probably the next time I will watch it will be when I have kids. So not a condemnation of it at all. Um, It's one of those few things where it's like, I wouldn't mind actually if my kids were watching this and I had to see it. Um, I say that now until, like all children, they're going to watch it 8,500 times. And if I have to hear uh, bare Necessities one more time, (laughs) I'm going to you know, go down to, to the Walt Disney Studios myself and destroy every copy of this movie that ever exists. But that's for future David to worry about at the current moment, having a great time. Via, thank you so much for being on the show today.
2: Thank you guys so much for having me on the show. Um, just as kind of like a parting thought on this, this is the only movie by Disney featuring characters from India. And None of them are princesses, so I will forever stand it. Um, And with that, I say thank you so much for having me on the show. I had a great time.
1: Thank you so much for being here. And Where Can, we've talked about your show a bunch. It's great. People should check it out. Um, It's people You're going to learn things that would never be taught to you in... in America. So it's a really great way to broaden your horizons, learn new stuff. But where, Pia, can people find it?
2: So Crimes from the East can be found on any streaming app, really, wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, all kinds of streaming apps. And I do also have a website, www.crimesfromtheeast.com. I'm very active on the Instagram page myself. So if you want to, you know, come and chat with me, comment, if you have thoughts or feedback or anything, catch me on Instagram on Crimes okay. from the East.
1: Do it, people. Nick, thanks for being here.
0: David, thank you, as always. Where can people find you? You all... (laughs) I don't know where that went wrong. You all can find me on Instagram at powblamshazam underscore art or on Twitter at powblamshazam. And if
1: people want to find me, that's Davalaz, D-A-V-L-U-Z, Twitter and Instagram. You can find me there. You can find the show on social media at Hit me one more pod, and hey, also if you feel generous, support us on Patreon. You'll get some great bonus content and a lot of great other bonus stuff. We would really appreciate it. And uh, if you're not in a situation to do that, we totally understand. You can also just rate and review us around the internet, Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I guess as it's called this day. Um, Apple Podcasts would be the the best place for you to do that. So if you are so inclined, please head on over there, give us a five star review. Leave us some words, and we'd love to hear from you. Listening audience, thank you so much for being here today. We do this show for you. We do this show because of you. Remember, you can't move forward if you're always looking back. We'll see you next time.